Welcome to a new episode of Latinos Who Tech. My name is Hugo Castellanos. Latinos Who Tech is a podcast about Latinos working in the tech industry and tools to help you take your career to the next level. In this episode, I had spoke with my friend Lenis Perez. She's a chemical engineer by training, and she also is a speaker and wellness engineer. And she did a remarkable thing, which is that she retired at the age of 39. Yes, retired. Whatever that word means. She was able to achieve financial independence by working in the tech industry for 16 years and investing her money in 401k, brokerage, and using all of these tools to actually being able to replace her active income using the passive income of a stock portfolio. This is a topic that I've been wanting to cover for a long time, and I've been covering it in bits and pieces throughout the, the podcast, both in my Spanish language podcast, Conexiones, and in some episodes of Latinos Who Tech. But I wanted to make this episode to show you first that it's possible to actually achieve financial independence while working in tech. Personally, it took me 11 years, and it's something that is definitely doable. But I think that the most important part of this, this goal of achieving financial independence is changing your mindset and realizing that it's possible. A lot of people get discouraged thinking about all the things that they're going to have to sacrifice uh, to actually achieve it before they actually go through the exercise of, hey, what do I actually need? How much do I need to pay for rent? Or how much do I need to pay off my house? Or which kind of lifestyle do I want to have to pursue? And it's, this, is a, this is a key topic in, when you're exploring the FIRE movement, in this movement of highly paid professionals that want to achieve financial independence and retire early. So hence, FIRE. And the reality is that a lot of us, we are not, retired in the traditional sense of the word like we are not watching netflix all day and we're not playing bingo or doing any of those things we're actually a lot of us are entrepreneurs a lot of us are folks that we appreciate having more free time than the average person a lot of us do consulting on the side and we might engage on paid work for 10 hours, 20 hours a week. Personally, I, I have the, my podcasts and I do consulting and I do speaking. Right now, I decided to go back to school, get a master's degree, and I'm doing it for fun. I'm doing it because I have the energy and the time and the agency to do, to do it. So when it comes to the FIRE movement, it comes in all flavors. The most traditional way that a lot of folks do it is that they they get well first of all you get a really nice job and you define okay what is my goal what is the number that i need to hit and you leverage tools like the the four percent rule so there's this study it's called the trinity study that showed that if you grow your portfolio in your 
401k or brokerage account up to something like a million dollars, you can actually withdraw $40,000 a year from your portfolio for 30 years. And there are calculators online, and I left some of them in the show notes, that you can actually run your numbers. And depending on how much money you spend every year, you can actually make your portfolio last indefinitely. So a lot of people think that, wait, like $40,000 a year? That's not a lot. Yeah, that's not a lot. If you're living in New York or San Francisco, but who told you you need to retire there? <laughs> that's a, it's, it's a base number, right? Like everybody's number is different. Some people do what, what it's called a fat fire, which is they want to retire with $100,000 a year or more. So in that case, what you do, the, the shortcut is that you take the number that you want to, that you need to, to spend per year, and you multiply it times 25. And that can give you a shortcut to find out how big your portfolio needs to be. $100,000, that's uh, $2.5 million. And believe it or not, that's pretty doable if you, are, if you work in tech in the U.S., if you are a couple, you have dual income, both of you are working, you're a software developer and your partner is product manager, you can make that money. It's not terribly difficult. You do have to make a system. You do have to educate yourself on how do you invest it. A lot of people also start investing in real estate and have that as a backup. And especially now with this economic climate that we're going through with layoffs in tech, I think it's so important to educate yourself in financial literacy and financial independence. Because guess what? If you're financially independent, I think you can be a better professional. I think you can actually decide which projects do you pursue, which companies you work for. What do you decide to do with your time? Wouldn't you be more willing to take risks if you knew that you didn't depend on that company to make your living? There's this whole idea of F you money or fuck you money. Basically, if you get um, insulted at work, you have some money saved up and you can say F you to your boss and leave. And that's fine. That's, if you want to look at it that way, that, that's fine. But I like to think of it more as a thanks, no thanks money. This idea that like right now I'm financially independent, my house is paid for, and I'm living my life doing what I do. And I get offered a job and as a product manager. And they tell me, Hugo, eh, yeah, it's uh, nine to six. And it's actually three days a week in the office because we're doing hybrid. And you need to move to Houston. And I'm going to say thanks. No thanks. Nothing against Houston or nothing like that. Uh, it could have been any city. But yeah, ultimately, that's not what I want to do with my life right now. And because I, I'm financially independent, I can choose to live my life that way. So I think it's a very important topic. So I wanted to make sure that I made an episode about this. Also, this is not financial advice. This is only for educational purposes. I'm not a financial advisor. 
What worked for me, maybe it's not going to work for you. Depends on your lifestyle. But I will make sure to have different resources in the show notes, like this article from Mr. Money Mustache. It's called uh, How to Retire Forever with a Fixed Chunk of Money. That's a really good strategy on how to go about it. I will also leave the, the book that taught me my first things that I ever learned about financial literacy. Ramit Sethi's book, I Will Teach You to Be Rich. And I know the title sounds weird, but trust me, it's gold. Like, like he goes over how credit cards work and 401ks and Roths, IRAs and all, all those things. So it's, it's really a, a very helpful book. And also, thank you for thank you to everybody that answered the the survey on Google Forms about new episode topics. This is really going to help me tailor the direction of the podcast where we want to take it. And if you haven't answered the survey yet, why haven't you? You can click on the show notes; you'll find that link to it. It's completely anonymous. I don't know your name or your email or who answered it, but you can answer some questions about what's your biggest challenge right now, which topics do you want to see featured, what do you like most about the podcast, what do you like the least about the podcast. It'll take, it, it will take you like five minutes to answer. You can answer it quickly and just get it over with. But, but it, again, it will help me immensely to define where do I take the podcast, which topics would add value to you. Because ultimately, I do this podcast for you. And with that... Let's chat with Lenis Perez. Thank you. Uh, when's your heart stop? I don't have one. I'm retired. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I wanted to start the podcast. <laughs> Lenis Perez, welcome to Latinos Who Tech. Thank you for making the time. Absolutely, Hugo. Thank you so much for having me. And I want to start with an icebreaker because that's something new that we're trying. And I wonder if you could ask anything to everybody, what would it be? Ask any question, open-ended, close-ended to everybody around the world. What would it be? What makes you smile? I just, it's just, what makes you smile, right? To me, it's just a simple question that we sometimes forget to ask ourselves. And when someone it, whether I know you or not, if I ask you what makes you smile, I'm triggering a part of your brain that it's going to bring you to a moment of joy or it's going to recall some good memories. And that's pretty much what I like. I would like to, yeah, start with that question. What makes you smile? Perfect. So what makes you smile? Oh, talking to people. Being in nature, holy crap, being in nature, just it's impossible one. for me not to have a giant grin <laughs> when I'm just walking around looking at the birds and the animals. Even I was hiking last week and I was crossing a path and I saw a snake. And even like when I saw a snake, most people will cringe and like run away and get fearful. And I was just smiling because it's like, you're going away from me, buddy. That's right. Just Keep going that way. Don't come this way. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, nature is a big one for me. It's, it just, yeah, it really realigns me and makes me smile. That's fantastic. Yeah. So tell me a bit about yourself. 
So you, I know you are a chemical engineer by training, and I wonder what's your story? How do you get into STEM, and how do you get interested into this fire movement? Yeah, I'm from Venezuela, like you are. <laughs> I am actually an immigrant, so I did come to the U.S. when I was in my late teens. And in Venezuela, I grew up surrounded by engineers. My dad was in the army, but he was also a civil engineer. My brother was going to engineering school when I was in high school. My cousins were either engineers or finishing engineering school. So when it was time for me to decide to go pursue a career, my mom was a kindergarten teacher and she absolutely loved her job. And she was like, if you want to do something fun and easy, go and be a teacher. Or if you want to do hard stuff, go into engineering. Now, the funny <laughs> thing is to me, it's harder to be a kindergarten teacher <laughs> than right. to be an engineer. Yeah. And in Venezuela, I mean, at that point, I didn't know that things will happen where we will end up in the U.S. So I was looking to work for one of the big oil companies in the country and work at a refinery because every time we will drive by the beach and you will see the giant plants, especially at night with all the lights, I was just like, oh, wouldn't it be cool to be in there? And that's what made me pursue specifically chemical engineering because I heard not only is what you can do to work in refineries and to work in chemical plants, but also a lot of the big shots or managers and executives in the oil companies had chemical engineering background. And at that time, I was quite ambitious. Um, I really wanted to be in that corporate ladder, very successful woman, managing teams. And that's how I got into STEM, pretty much. Then we moved to the U.S. I graduated from Manhattan College and I worked as a chemical engineer for 16 years and my journey was nothing like I imagined it to be. Which... Were you in the field or was it more of a cube it job? A, it was a cube job. It was a oh desk job. I was just soul crushing. <laughs> it was really, it was interesting because as an immigrant, I needed mm -hmm. to secure my work visa. So even though I had an internship and work at a refinery, and to me, that was just an amazing experience, not a lot of companies were sponsoring, like oil companies were sponsoring right. at that point. It was really difficult. I graduated in 2005. So I found a sponsor, like that was priority number one. And in, in a way, in my mind, it's like, okay, I'm kind of close to it because what we what that company did was it sold technologies, it designed refineries, it designed chemical plants. So I'm like, okay, I'm not in the plant, but at least I'm understanding the backs and the like back ends, how does it work, all that stuff. And maybe in the future, I'll get a chance to work for a different company. But I recall when I was doing my internships, I did an internship in an environmental engineering company. And then I had that internship at mm -hmm. a refinery and I was comparing sitting at a desk job or being able to get out to the plant, check on different equipment and instruments. It was just night and day difference. And I liked the one where I could get outside. Now, due to the visa reasons, I had to take the desk job. And it really was most of my career, I will say, was a desk job. And that just kept 
crushing my soul <laughs> little mm. by little and I will like move companies and try different things and it just didn't never really panned out where I found like a job that I could say I absolutely loved my job and I think that was the inner kindling to looking into fire to looking into really creating that financial independence so then I will have the freedom and the time to explore got it yeah when there's this mentality that and especially as an immigrant that you have that nine to five till you're 65 mm -hmm. and uh, and when you find something like fire this this movement this financial independence retire early movement in the beginning it's like is this even possible <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> like uh, bridging that gap is so, so important. So I'm curious on how did you find about it and like, like what is fire anyway? Because I just said what it is, but I'm curious on if you could walk me through your perception of what is it for you. Yeah. So I'll take you back to me growing up in Venezuela, just mm -hmm. to give you perspective, right? And I don't know what your experience was with your family members, but... My parents retired in their 50s. My dad was in the army. He had a secure pension by the time he was done with his 25 years of service. And then a few years before retirement, he purchased a farm because that's what he was going to do afterwards. My mom also worked for the educational system in Venezuela. So she also had a secure pension and pretty much... Didn't really know what she was going to do after she retired. She just thought she was going to travel the world, etc. Now, many of your audience members may know this or many may not, but Venezuela's economy, the economy in Venezuela completely yeah. crashed, right? Yeah, it's very so much a failed state right now. It's if you have money, you live in a feudal society and you have bodyguards and your castle that's protected and you live yeah. in this bubble. But 95% of the population doesn't live like that. Exactly. And if you ask my dad right now, what is his pension? It's like $50 a month, right? It's something that's not going to sustain if. him. So yeah, if it gets to that because you have inflation. So it's a very complex thing. I also had on the other side, my grandfather who retired from being a teacher at 40 but the way he retired was by building real estate. Like he started mm -hmm. to purchase real estate in his little town in the Andes in Venezuela. And he owned multiple properties. And then he was starting to get the passive income of, of the real estate. So I had kind of those seeds of, I don't need to wait until 65 to retire. Why in the U.S. do they say you have to work until 65 like, this doesn't make sense to me in my right. head. My parents retire in their 50s. It's a scam. My, grand my grandfather <laughs> retiring his, like, in his 40s. What is going on here? So that's when I started looking at, like, how can I build financial independence? And that's when I came across the concept of FIRE, which is financial independence, retire early. Now, we kind of want to look at the financial independence part first and then if you want we can really dive into the quote-unquote retire early mm -hmm. because I don't fully feel like I'm a retired person as the concept of the 66 year old or 70 year old person who 
now it's just sitting in the front of their house just looking at yeah, <laughs> the in, neighbors. In Venezuela, they would be watching <laughs> Televisión Española and napping at 11 a.m. And, you know, that, that's not us. <laughs> that's right. not us. Right. Um, exactly. Yeah. I think I, think I want to dive in into this, uh, the practicality. I mean, showing people that it's possible and how, and just get down to the mechanics of it. Yeah. So there's this idea of the 4% rule mm -hmm. that if you have a portfolio that's big enough, I want to say a portfolio, I mean investments. It can be stocks, bonds, and if you withdraw, you can withdraw 4% of that whole chunk of that portfolio for 30 years, and it will still keep the same value. If it's exposed to the S&P 500 or total stock market, and that's fine and dandy, but then how do you get a portfolio that big? How do you go about that? And I'm curious, what was your strategy on how do you go about building a portfolio and finding that number that worked for you? Yeah. So for me, I had to evaluate my values first mm -hmm. were the important things for me. And I will tell you because in my 20s, I followed the important things for society in terms of how they measure success. And is you get you get your degree, you get married, mm -hmm. you got your house, you have your children put your children through school and then you get to 65 and retire. So I started on that path. I literally started exactly what society was expecting on me. And I remember I was married, I purchased a house and I personally hated home ownership. Hated right. it. Like I just it was stressful for me. It was just thinking for myself like, "Oh my god, we have this mortgage and if I do the math, how much is it going to cost me to pay it off? And it was just not a source of joy for me. <laughs> and at the time, I was living in the New Jersey area, which is a very expensive state to live in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So you have property taxes that were ridiculous, plus houses that were built in the early 1900s that constantly need renovations and constantly need you to put money in. So it, it literally felt like a money pit for me. Fast forward to my early 30s. And I said, I've tried this formula. It's not working for me. It really beyond the soul crushing job. I'm also not aligned with this whole being a homeowner and paying taxes, mm -hmm. like real estate taxes and all that stuff. So I said, what can I do? right? What am I looking for? And that's when I said, okay, I need to build my cushion so I can be financially independent to choose to do whatever the hell I want with my time. So I started, so we'll go back to one of my jobs. I had mm -hmm. an amazing job. So my first job was your traditional 401k where they'll do matching up to, I think it was 5% matching, which okay. was That's pretty, pretty good. good. Yeah. yeah, which is pretty good. So I was there for five years. And they also, when I started, it was one company and then it was acquired by another company. So they changed some things. So they actually had a pension <laughs> too. I'm talking about 2005. They don't exist anymore. Very few places that I know that have pensions. Yeah. But... yeah. And now we're supposed to have build our own pensions. Yeah. And, and your and, social you know, security. Like if, if, and if we're building our own pensions, let's go all in. 
let's let's build them up for 10 15 years and then let's retire exactly at 40 or 45 or whatever age you want so that was pretty good so i will put a certain i will put the matching percentage that's what i started and that's because i was prioritizing getting a house and prioritizing whatever our needs were as a couple right after five years working there i switched to a company that did 25 percent of your salary will go into your 401k whether you put money or not okay and that was just to me that was like holy crap like this is amazing i've never heard of any place that does this right um what was worked... the rationale behind that like do you ever dig into it when I, it was a very small engineering company at that time i think i was engineer number well not engineer like staff number 67 it was a very small company it was owned by three engineers and what they wanted to do is just to create a place where people felt safe right where people felt that they were being taken care of and one of the right. ways that they did that was through putting this gigantic amount of money. Yeah, I mean, with that, I feel pretty <laughs> safe. Like that's a pretty good retention strategy. Exactly. And then the funny thing is when I joined that company, they said they never had a layoff. They have been around for a little under 20 years, but they were pretty niche in the mm. industry. Very specific thing, had a lot of flexibility in terms of the different markets that they could serve. So had some stability in there. So that was great until 2015 came around and they didn't have a good year and projects weren't coming in. And then 2016, January 2016, they had a layoff. Now, at this point, I was 80% vested. I was so mad <laughs> I got laid off. They had to let go 20% of their staff. Took a break. I had already started building my financial independence, right? So I said, okay, with what I'm going to get from unemployment plus what I have saved, I can take a career break. I can evaluate where do I want to go next? What do I want to explore? That's when I started a YouTube channel. That's when I started looking for other ways to create passive income. So I had, okay, you have your retirement and your portfolio. You have your 401k, which you have restrictions of when can you take money. Then I started learning about the traditional IRAs, Roth IRAs, and just took that little break on in terms of engineering to learn about passive income. Pretty much is it's what I call it. This company rehired me. I was super excited that they were able to, they didn't have to reset my vested period. So then all well, I that's needed fantastic. to like yeah. you won the lottery right there. <laughs> I did. I mean, so I was able... Yeah, sort of speaking. Like... <laughs> yeah. But I will tell you, because people think, okay, it's $25,000, 25% that they're depositing into your retirement account. But also think about I'm not earning what tech earns right now. I mm -hmm. was earning maybe $80,000 at the time, living in one of the most expensive states that is here in the US. But granted, that money was always going to go there, which was fantastic. Uh, when I came back, that was the only year they only did the 3%. 
minimum required contribution into their retirement plans. I joined, I rejoined and only worked for about six, seven months because at that point I was just kind of fed up with some of the politics that were going on. Yeah, going they, through the motions. And they also had hired me for a position where they promised me I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to work with a specific manager because I did not get along with that specific manager and the seven months I worked for that manager. So to me, it was just like, guys, I told you that was my, my two conditions to come back mm -hmm. was get me into the vested period again so I can get 100% vested in a few months and do not make me work with this specific person. And at seven months I work with him, I literally will come home crying sometimes mm. because it was just a difficult communication circumstances with this manager. So an opportunity came up to switch to a different company and pretty much got a little bit of a salary bump. But again, back to my, we match I think that company only matched 4% or 3%, something like that. So that's on the 401ks. So I'm kind of set for my 59 and a half, 62, 65 age that you can start taking money. The other right. thing is the companies, the last two companies I worked for, they offered the Roth IRA option or the Roth 401k, which I took advantage of. So what does that mean? If you don't know, you have your pre-tax contributions and your after-tax contributions. One of the things that I really love about the after-tax contribution is that whatever earnings you make on that money, you don't have to pay taxes for it. So when you make it to that retirement age, you can start pulling money out and you won't have to pay taxes on your principal or your earnings because you're putting it, you already paid the taxes 20 years before or 30 years before, whenever you were. On that last job, when I really said, I want to retire early, I took a freelance job. So I was working two full-time jobs, kind of. So I was putting as much money away as possible. And I had opened my own personal brokerage account. I was building my savings, put it on a high yield savings account online. And then I still have my contributions to the 401k. So that's kind of my, that was my approach to get into that point where I said, I need to hit this number and then I can say sayonara. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that it's so critical that, that you mentioned that you were making a good salary for, mm -hmm. for working in STEM. But it's not uh, one of these outlier tech jobs, yeah. like product managers in the Bay Area that they make 300000 a year. Right. And, and usually the way that those things work out is that they make like two hundred k in, in cash and then hundred k in stock. Mm -hmm. That, it, again, is not yours till you spend four years at the company. Right. You get, you get those golden handcuffs. Exactly. The stock is growing and then every quarter you have a performance review or every six months rather. And guess what? If you did well, they give you more stock. <laughs> <laughs> that you cannot control. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then the, you can keep it in the company or you can take it out and put it in index funds, put it in the S&P 500. I mean, that's what I did. But it, 
so I'm curious, like at this time, were any, do you have to do any like lifestyle changes? Like any things like house hacking, like renting out your house? Like, do you do any like things that people would consider like extreme to like change your lifestyle or were you just doing things as normal? I grew up in a very conservative household, so not a lot of changes. So in terms of home ownership, because that was not in alignment with my values and what I wanted, I sold the properties. At that point, I had acquired with my ex-husband. We got divorced. So that that's one tip for <laughs> anyone who may not be married. Yeah. Prenups are not just for the rich people. <laughs> prenups are for anybody. It's, prenups it's, are for anybody. It's in the Google Drive next to the will. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. The legal no. documents. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's an important conversation to have. Yeah, especially, and, and thank you for being open about this. And we don't have to talk about this if you don't want to. No, so it's totally fine. No, I, I do want to share because it's a lived experience, right? Mm -hmm. And I wish someone had talked to me about this. My relationship with this person is we were quote unquote 50, 50, but not really. And what happened was he was also from Venezuela. He came to the U S under a student visa. We had gotten married and he was going to school when I was working. So I had already been started building my 401k and my portfolios and things like that. By the time we got divorced and we separated, he wanted half of my 401k because he knew about the 25% and he knew about all of that. So my decision or part of the negotiation was you keep the profits from the house. Don't touch my retirement account. So I pretty much walk away with no profits from these houses that we had purchased and built and everything. But I got my sanity back. <laughs> which right. was which priceless. That, yeah, that doesn't, yeah, can't put a price tag to it. Yeah, exactly. You get, you, you get to sleep eight hours a night, every night at peace. Yeah. Yes. And that, yes, it was a bit of a hiccup in my process of early retirement. But at the same time, I also have to account for retiring one person, not two. That That's the trade-off. In terms of lifestyle changes, so one of the things that I did was I moved to Texas. Texas is a state that doesn't have income taxes. So that's really nice. The cost of living is lower than in the Northeast, in the New York, New Jersey area. Gas prices are lower. We don't have to pay as much in tolls. So pretty much I kept my lifestyle standards in a different state. Like that's one of the reasons that drove me to move to Texas. Plus, I was closer to family, so now I don't have to spend money on flights to go mm -hmm. visit them. I can just drive a couple of hours, and we're pretty close by. So and those much, were some much of the less, adjustments. Much less snow as well. Yes. <laughs> snow is optional. In New Jersey, you don't have a choice. No. Uh, no more shoveling. No more shoveling. Yeah. And then that goes back to, to the things you value, right? You value more about doors and things like that. You can get sunnier. You can spend more time doing the things you love because you don't have to wait for the right season. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The right season is the whole season here <laughs> in Texas, <laughs> at least for me, Yeah. for what I like. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I, I, so a big question then is how do you 
calculate your number. The, everybody's number is going to be different. Again, you're supporting two people. Are you supporting one person? Are you supporting a family of four? Um, I like to think that doing it as a dual income household is easier. But then like in, in our case, doing it as a dual income household without kids, it's almost, it feels like cheating. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Because when you have two people that work in tech, it's like, okay, like, okay, we're cheating. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so like, so like the way, like personally, the way I looked at it is that I'm like, I look at the Trinity study, this mm -hmm. the 4% rule, mm -hmm. and there's this shortcut that the people that, the two or three people that listen to this podcast, they can do it right now and they can guesstimate how much do you need to live each month right. and like, be honest about it. Now look at your mortgage, look at how much you're paying in health insurance, look at how much you spend, uh, go, like mm -hmm. if you use Mint or YNAF, like those apps are amazing for that, like tracking and then guesstimate like, okay, that times 12, more or less how much I spend in a year, like to live the lifestyle that I have right now. Mm -hmm. And you multiply that number times 25 and that's your 4% rule number. That's the number that you should hit. You know? right. So like if right now, like if you want the lifestyle that it's $40,000 a year, that number is 1 million. You got to hit mm -hmm. 1 million. If you like nicer things and you want to live in $80,000 a year, you need to hit 2 million. Right. But right. if you work in the U.S. and you want to retire in Mexico or mm -hmm. Colombia or like people that listen to this podcast, a lot of them are their parents are immigrants or they're immigrants themselves. Right. You, know, you can get by. Maybe you can move to a place where you can get by with a thousand bucks a month. Who knows? Who knows? Like everybody is different. So like doing that exercise of calculating your number is going to be, it's going to vary by, by person, by lifestyle, by a lot of things. Just out of curiosity. So if you figure out a place where you can live with a thousand dollars a month, that number is 300 K. Right. And again, right. it's a ballpark number. It's a ballpark number. It's going to be different for everybody. But I'm curious on now that you retired and now that you own your own time and how do you go about calculating your, your personal number? So like what worked for you? For me, I'm debt averse, meaning I don't like having Same. debt. So that was my first kind of point on my checklist was I need to have my car to be fully paid and anything else that I may have a debt on, I just need to have it fully paid. Mm. I am very blessed that I came out of school with no student loans because mm -hmm. I had a scholarship, which was an incredible support. So that really helped. Also, though, as an immigrant, I do support Kind of on that tangent, I support my family. Like my dad lives mm -hmm. me, right? So I don't have kids, but I do have an extra mouth to feed and an older person that needs more medical care and his health insurance is a little bit more expensive. Like all these things that you have to take into account. At the same time, we they have options, right? Like my parents, thankfully, as I said, my dad has a farm in Venezuela. So he does, he's able to like, sometimes transfer a little bit of money for anything that he wants to use for himself. So with that in mind, to me, it was, okay, how much without debt do I need to live? 
month to month, right? And my number was $36,000 a year. So about $3,000 a month, that's how much for rent, that's how much for utilities, car insurance, health insurance, things like that, and a couple hundred bucks to do whatever. What I will tell you that I've learned in the past two years since retirement is that there are some things that I do miss. And I am, that's why I like that. I think that the retirement part is, it's kind of a fallacy. It's not, you're not, not like just going to sit in your ass and watch Netflix, right? No, no, the people that get tech degrees are, a lot of us are type A people. And like we are, Yeah. (laughs) a lot of folks that like, we have like entrepreneurial mentality and we like to see what kind of side hustles we can do or. Exactly. uh, Yeah. Our minds are built to solve problems. So all of a sudden we have all this free time and it's like, okay, which problems do I want to solve? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Right now, one of the things that I do miss, right? Okay. When I did that math, it's like, this is the minimum. This is what I need. I need $36,000 a month. I am not taking a year. year, Sorry. I'm not $36,000 a month. I'm like, okay, (laughs) that's that's a nice lifestyle. I want that portfolio. Mira, se portfolio está bueno. Yeah, yeah. I'll give you you all the tips outside. No, I'm kidding. So $3,000 a month, right? Things that I, and like I said, just a couple hundred bucks here and there for just fun things. I go, if I want to go to a concert or if I want to go have a really fancy dinner a couple of times a month, like those things. What I do miss is when I was working full time, although I didn't have the time, I had the money to pay to travel first class to go to New Zealand or take these really nice trips to Europe. So how much does that cost, right? How much is that going to cost me? So right now, honestly, I'm like, I can just do DoorDash for a few months to build up couple of thousand dollars that I didn't take into account into that $36,000 a year. And because I have the time and the freedom to play around with other things. I also, as I mentioned earlier, I do have a couple of passive income streams. So that money, it's kind of put away for maybe the fun stuff. I'm thinking probably in a year or two, I want to upgrade my car. That's going to be another chunk. Okay, how can I make this money without touching the principal, without taking that money out from my retirement? Because I really like how it builds up and how you take money and it just kind of reappears magically. That's that 4% rule. Yes. Really, is, it really is the, power, is the power of the American economy. I mean, it's the, yeah. when you look at the way the S&P 500 behaves and yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it is magic. It, it seems like magic, but it's not magic. So it's but, not magic. But, but I get it. Like it's it's one of those things that is very. Once you know the rules, you once you know how things work, mm-hmm. and you can use them in your favor, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. It is. Once you figure it out is. how the system works. Yeah, and that's why. For me, it was learning, and I'm a late learner I consider myself I didn't learn about having your own brokerage account and having your own personal investments in index funds and mutual funds and different funds that give you dividends and all that stuff until I was in my early 30s when I was like okay I don't like this path of home buyer being married all this stuff 
what is my other option? That's when I started learning about this thing. So if any of you of your listeners are in their 20s, oh my God, you are blessed mm-hmm. by having this access to this information. Oh, yeah. And if you're in your 40s, it's not late. It's not late. Like when my brother found out I was retiring early, he's like asking me a hundred questions. And he's again, his approach is different because he has two daughters. He likes more investing in real estate. I did not invest in real estate. I kept most of my stuff on the market, different different styles of investments, but still on the market, on the stock market. So for him, it's like, okay, a couple of years ago, 3% interest rate for a mortgage. I'm going to buy a house. And now a year later, I can actually buy a second house. Mm-hmm. And now he's like, he has an income from the rental property that's paying off his mortgage, has a little bit left, and now he has the homestead house that he just purchased that he's going to live in probably a couple more years until the mortgage interest, hopefully, in a couple of years will stabilize and go down here in the U.S. There's different ways, but he's looking now at retiring around 52 to 55 is what he's looking at. Which is still not your 65 yeah. that people tell you that you have to work until. Yeah, de- definitely. And 52 is way better than 65. Yeah. And we're having a very positive conversation. And I don't mean this to sound negative or to like draw the energy out of it by any means. But what motivated me, one of the things that motivated me is that my my dad, he was a college professor in Venezuela. And he retired at... 59 Mm. and we migrated to the u.s bought a house and then he got really sick and he passed away at 62. he got his dream in the sense that he moved to the u.s with his kids he gave us a better platform of opportunity to do things but yeah he didn't have a retirement at all right and i'm and and personally i look at all the sacrifices he did to get us to to here, to the States. And I'm like, okay, I I need to make this worthwhile. I need to do great things here, Uh, but I'm not going to work till I'm 60. And that's Mm -hmm. not, I want to be, I want to work in my own terms. Exactly. Because, because you can come from a very traditional standpoint, like you said, like growing in a very conservative home that you you do things this way, it's a checklist and no, it's not. <laughs> you can do a lot of things with, with tools that you have available. And in case in point, this brings me to the other part of life after fire. Like mm-hmm. now that you've achieved your number, you're financially independent. You don't have to check your Slack at eight in the morning to see. <laughs> you, don't <Yes>. have, <laughs> you don't have to rush your breakfast because you have a Zoom call in five minutes. Yeah. I'm curious on like now, like what does a typical week look like for you? Yeah. Well, first I want to acknowledge you bringing that side of the story of mm. what happened to your dad, because okay. it, it ties into the work that I also do right now as the quote unquote side hustle, which is I saw coworkers, I saw colleagues struggling emotionally, physically, because they were so married to their jobs or they had such a 
stress and pressure for certain performance. Like one of my coworkers passed away in his early fifties from cancer from, and pretty much he worked till like a couple of months before he was in his deathbed. So this mentality that literally you working yourself to death, it's, it's very real in the U S I, I think real. it's extremely real here in the U S I've had colleagues with emotional breakdowns because mm -hmm. they cannot handle the stress of trying to keep a family show up for work, you know, answer to the clients. Like they have all these things going on, trying to be the perfect mo mother or parent, trying to be the perfect employees. Like it's a lot of pressure that really drains us and burns us out. I'll tell you, my week now, it really varies. I will say right after I hit my number and I was like, I'm done. I'm ready to put my two weeks notice. I ended up working for a month <laughs> later because they were like, what? No, we need you for a couple more weeks. So <laughs> I ended up working for a month and then I took three months off of the quote unquote retirement, right? It was literally three months where I said, I'm just going to read. I'm just going to chill. I'm just going to sleep. I'm just going to take naps, knowing that I was also still in the process of transitioning, right? There's a grieving process that people don't talk about in the fire communities. Mm -hmm. You're leaving behind a lifestyle that you have been taught and chasing for so long, right? You are leaving behind the comfort, quote unquote, of having that paycheck twice a month of having somebody else do the research for your insurance options of like, there's so many things that you're leaving behind that a lot of people don't talk about this grieving and transition period that you want to take. I will suggest that you do take it where you do that self-reflection of saying, I work my butt off. I feel really proud, but why does my life, what is my life going to look like? Maybe mm -hmm. not in three months, but in a year, in two years, what are some right. of the things that may change, right? What are some of the priorities? And like I said, one of the reasons why I moved to Texas was because I wanted to be closer to my family. Mm -hmm. That was a priority. My parents are getting older. My partner's parents are getting older. I have nieces that are growing and are going to be going off to college soon. So it's like, it's all these little things that to me were like, right now, I want to dedicate this part of my life to being with my family, right? right? In five years from now, it may look different. And I may say, okay, you know what? I'm just going to be traveling the world or I'm just going to be a digital nomad, right? It's all these different things. But for right now, my weeks vary in the sense of sometimes I have podcast interviews. Sometimes <laughs> I'm running workshops for companies in STEM because one of the things that I started to advocate was on wellness in STEM and in tech, something that doesn't get really discussed. Even if the company provides resources, I've heard so many places that I've spoken at where they say, yeah, the company may have the policies, but the hustle culture is glamorized. And if you work yeah. 60 hours a week, even though you have the flexibility of taking mental health days or you have the flexibility of unlimited vacations, which is such a 
it's a scam. It's right. a scam because places don't have the psychological safety to exactly to police it. That's a big part of why I left. Because again, I mean, you have this great job and you're making like two fifty a year, and I'm like, wait a second, like I'm working from home. Why am I getting stressed out about opening my laptop and checking my Slack? Like I, I at some point, like I started having like anxiety attacks. And like, I didn't know what it was. And I'm like, wait, like, this is not normal stress. Right. And I'm happy that I reached out and I had the resources to seek help. And I realized that, listen, like, doesn't matter how much meditation you do or mindfulness or walks or like breathing exercises or whatever. If you're in a toxic environment, you need to leave. <laughs> yeah. You need to leave. Like, so yeah, like if you have a, if you have a gushing wound, a bandaid is not going to help you. No, you need stitches and you need to heal it and you need to. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. So that was the Camino de Santiago for me. That, that was my mm -hmm. intensive care, <laughs> if you will. That's amazing that you recognize and, and I was listening to the podcast in Spanish and mm -hmm. I was like, it's so amazing that you were able to recognize your telltale signs of this is not going well mm -hmm. and this is a toxic environment. And I was in, in similar shoes in the sense of I was hired to do ABC for my job and All of a sudden, three years into the company, they started, the CEO will call me and say, hey, I need you to do this. And I said, no, I can't. You hire me for this. This is my expertise. This is what I'm doing. And that's a full-time job as it is. No, but such and such left because they had horrible management. Such and such left. Can, it's just for a couple of months. And I will say no. Like, And that was the thing. Mm -hmm. I will try to set the boundaries And even though it was with the CEO and I didn't care at that point, because I was like, again, I was building my fire <laughs> yeah. at that point. Yeah. Right. And he, he will like find sneaky ways to like dump the work on my desk. And then thankfully I had, like, I was working for a company in the U S but I was also reporting to their European branch. So I was able to talk to my manager in Europe and say, Hey, this is what's happening here in the U S I don't think this is, I have no problem pivoting 100% to these other responsibilities, but I'm not going to do both, right. period. Like, it's just setting those boundaries. They had their talks, they had their politics worked out. I was not given that job, but it was those little sneaky pushing boundaries mm -hmm. things that I was like, this is not okay with me. Right. And I had a number, I adjusted that number. And I'm like, you know what? I can be okay with this right now. I don't mm -hmm. need to hit that. A lot of people think about the 1 million goal. Mm -hmm. I'm like, 700 is going to be good enough. Like, I'm right. out. <laughs> right. Because it's how you define it, right? It's how you do the lifestyle design. Like, uh, there's this whole idea of there's different flavors of fire. There's mm -hmm. the coast fire. So the people that they get their portfolio all the way up to 400, 500. And then they get a job at the library, right? Like they figure out their housing and they get a job that gives them 20, 25K a year. And that's fine. Maybe mm -hmm. they do some DoorDash on the side, but they work like three days a week. Yes. So you have a four day weekend every week. Yeah. 
Yeah. So there's yeah. some people, there's people that do the expat fire. You know what I said, like they move to mm -hmm. Mexico or Colombia or anywhere. Uh, there's people that get a regular office job that is more chill. Yes, more no chill. stress. Yeah, it's like admin. Yeah. I'll do admin work, monkey yeah, work. Yeah, I'll do admin. <laughs> there's this podcast I like. Two friends that are doing fire. One already hit their number. One is mm -hmm. doing it. Is two sides of fire, mm. and the one that already hit his number, he was a healthcare executive in the Bay Area, and mm. now he works at a brewery two days a week. So fun. Because so he fun. Because he's a chemist and he loves talking about beer and he loves talking to people and he gets his social tank full and he needs to use it. So that's what he does. It's about, it's not about retiring and watching Netflix. It's about living life in your terms. Like if you feel like flying out somewhere on a Wednesday because it's cheaper, you can. You don't have to mm -hmm. ask permission to anybody. Yeah. And I will say that that realization for me, I experienced burnout and health issues in the 2012-2014 period. And to me, that really put things into perspective. And then we had the, we had COVID. Mm -hmm. And that was just the final push that I needed to say the only non-renewable resource I have is my time. I can make money other ways. I can figure out how to live with certain expenses, cutting certain expenses, cutting certain things, but I cannot get my time back. That's the only thing that I cannot. And what am I trading my time for? If I'm trading my time for money, but I'm also trading my health and my well-being for money. Right. What am I doing? Is that what life is supposed to be, right? I think I love that you mentioned there's different flavors to fire. You build it with the choices and the freedoms that you want to have for your own life and your own values. So I call it, I don't, I like fire now as financial independence realigned early, <laughs> not yeah. retire early, realign right. earlier in your career and your life. Yeah, like like I, I decided to go back to school and I'm, I'm getting a master's in data analytics online mm. because now I have the time and I have the energy to focus on this and I can yes. spend four hours working on a data set and like it's amazing. <laughs> and I like to think that it's so when you're in a room and you're introducing yourself to other people. I, say, I like to say that I'm an engineer, I worked in tech for 11 mm -hmm. years, and I'm semi-retired. Sometimes mm -hmm. I say that, and mm -hmm. sometimes I say that, yeah, I worked in tech for 11 years, and now I don't have to work anymore. Every day is Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. What so a that, gift. Like, that, 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 <laughs> that's the way I phrase it sometimes. And, and I'm experimenting with it because, again, who knows, maybe... After two years of this, I'll get bored and I'll be like, okay, Lenis, I'm going back to Microsoft and <laughs> going back again. Who knows? Who knows? It'll be on my terms and that's fine. That's... But I'm curious on how do you introduce yourself in that setting, especially here that everybody's so tied to their job, is so tied to their identity. <laughs> like, I'm curious on how do you introduce yourself? Yeah, a lot of times I actually have a shirt. I should have worn it today, but this is a podcast. So. <laughs> but <laughs> it says wellness engineer. 
And that's to kind of kick off the conversation of like, oh, what do you do? I've never heard of a wellness engineer. And it's it's a way to share some of the advocacy work that I've been doing right now. Because as I mentioned, I took those three months off. And then after that, I was like, okay, what am I doing? What am I going to like build? And to me, it was if I had a role model when I was going through that burnout experience in 2012, that was another woman in tech, woman in engineering that I could see that they were talking about prioritizing themselves, how to create this independence, financial independence, how to not be so attached to their jobs. I wanted to become that role model. So right. now I say, depending on the setting, right? I'm a consultant. I do public speaking. I run workshops. I'm a YouTuber sometimes. Yeah. If it's a setting where there's a bunch of people on YouTube, I'm a podcast co-host. Like I'm multi-passionate. Like yeah. I have a lot of different things going on right now that are a lot more fun than what I was doing before. And yeah, I worked in engineering for 16 years. I worked in sales as part of those years in engineering. And kind of like you said, right now, honestly, like I've been on the searching the job market because I would love to try and work for companies that are promoting wellness, like Insight Timer or Core Headspace. Like I've done some things with the Chopra Global Organization because I graduated from their, their meditation certification. So it's like, it's all these different things that, as you said, in a couple of years, if you want to say, hey, Microsoft came out with this really cool thing that I'm curious about and I would like to go and check that out, you can try to get mm -hmm. back into yeah. the market if you want to. A lot of people, and I remember this, like this gentleman, his name was Ed Visage. When I started working, he was in his 80s and he would work twice a week in this company and come with his golf gear, like his golf shorts mm. or his golf pants and his little hat and stuff. And he, because he loved, like you said, that social filling mm -hmm. up your cup of that social interaction, of still using part of that brain and part of that knowledge. I think there's a lot of talent for people in their 60s that sometimes doesn't get used or really fully taken because they had this mindset of, I'm retiring now, so whatever mm -hmm. happened. And it's like, you have so much wealth of knowledge that you could be sharing and, mm -hmm. and I feel like for me in my 40s, like I have all this knowledge from my 20s and 30s of everything that I screw up. I right. want to share it with the world. I want to share the dark sides. You can get to the other side, but this is what you got to do. And one of the things is getting out of toxic environments, 1000%. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And an interesting move that I see people that are retiring in a more traditional term, that they're in their 50s, 60s, and they're they have 25 years working at places like Intel or Google or is that they join boards or nonprofits so they can still give that expertise and it's probably like five hours a month 
Right. And again, like, because, but it's people that have that itch of giving back. Like I have a friend that he did just that. He left, he left Intel after 25 years and he joined the board of directors of, of a nonprofit. I should bring him to the podcast actually to talk about that. There you go. <laughs> because it's an interesting career move. It's like, listen, like I, I have all this money and my two houses are paid for. Yeah. After a month of cleaning the garage and fixing up the house like okay i'm done like i need to do something else i need to do something more that's part that activates my intellectual curiosity right exactly exactly yeah i'm curious on on your right now that you embrace life after fire this financial independence i'm curious on what how do you handle your speaking engagements you have this interesting workshop on busting burnout and that caught my attention for obvious reasons. <laughs> so I'm curious on what's at the center of that, that workshop, the, the outcome, what do you want to get out of the audience in that kind of workshop? So I did this workshop for the Society of Women Engineers last year, and I do similar workshops for other organizations. I've done things for the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers here locally. And a lot of this is bringing that awareness first of all, of understanding that it is safe for you to not be attached to your job title. Mm -hmm. It is safe for you to set boundaries that it's okay not to check your email on weekends, that you don't mm -hmm. have to sleep with your phone right next to you on next to your bed on your nightstand. And the first thing that you do is check your emails. Like number one, it's just that awareness of what is your relationship with work right now? And why have you built that relationship? Because in my case, I have built that relationship from not knowing anything else from the role models that I had in the industry, where people that did not have work-life integration, work-life balance, whatever you want to call it, it didn't exist. They live for their jobs. That's pretty much, they were there all the time. And they had this concept of loyalty to their employers which as someone that has been laid off, there's no loyalty there. Yeah, it's 2023. <laughs> 240,000, I think, tech workers have been laid off in the last 18 months. Yeah, there's exactly. no loyalty. There's no loyalty. There's no loyalty. So number one is if your job is your priority, that's a red flag right there. Even mm -hmm. if you love what you're doing, even if you're passionate about what you're doing, when you're working for someone, nothing it's nothing is guaranteed in life anyways. That's just a fallacy that we tell ourselves. But when you think about, oh, I have a safe job, I have this comfort, it's not really true. And if you if you're attaching yourself to that, it's a big sign of there's some work that you need to do for yourself, right? Other things like one of the one of the key takeaways, because one of the things that I do is after I, I do my presentations and workshops is I will either have a follow-up conversation with some of the attendees, reach out like what were some of the biggest takeaway. And one of the things that I said was, um, don't be the fixer, be the role model. And that's because a lot of times we come into places and we feel like we need to fix the place to make it better. And... That's a lot of energy of trying to change mm -hmm. people that may not be willing or even remotely interested of changing their ways, their mentalities, 
the way that communicate and the way they treat others. So you're wasting all this energy. You're getting stressed out. You're sacrificing your well-being to try to fix others instead of focusing on yourself, centering yourself, realigning yourself, and knowing when to set those boundaries and when to say no and when to walk away when it's not the right place. So it's talking about that. It's, you mentioned it doesn't matter how much mindfulness you practice mm -hmm. doesn't matter how many nature walks you take it doesn't matter how much you journal when you're in a toxic environment it really doesn't matter so i think it's going back to what is your self-worth when you know you're worthy when you know your value when you know you're enough you don't put up with that crap right and your meditations and your walks in natures are no longer a to-do on your checklist of your 100 other to-dos, right? It's something that you know you're doing because it's just helping you stay healthy, helping mm -hmm. you give yourself the energy that you need. Yeah, it's um, integrated in everything you do. I don't have a to-do for brush your teeth. <laughs> I just do it. I just exactly. do it. Like, like I don't have a to-do for walk around the lake in the morning when I wake up. Like I don't have a to-do for that. It's just... It's a habit, it's ingrained, it's part of who I am. And I think that's why it's so powerful to, to share these resources on fire. Because once you tap into some of them and you mm -hmm. take that challenge, you realize that, hey, it's possible. You know what? Let me save up those three-month emergency fund and mm -hmm. then six-month. And then next thing you know, you have a one-year emergency fund. And if you find yourself in a toxic relationship with work guess yeah. what you have a little bit of a bridge that you can leverage to move on to a better thing yeah yeah for sure for sure and work on that mindset that it is possible right believe that it is possible for you even it took me almost a decade once i made the decision to get to that point to get to the number where i was like i can now walk away right mm -hmm. and i adjusted the number and also the mindset of like, when I look at my portfolio last year was an awful year. Yeah. It was just like, oh God, <laughs> but I'm not here for the one year. I'm here for the 20 year or 30 years. Mm -hmm. This is why the resources that I use, one of the things that they recommended was you want to have at least two years, two to three years built up in a high yield online, something that you can actually ask mm -hmm. relatively yeah, something, easy. Something more liquid. Than... Yes. Than having it in the stock market or in bonds or whatever it is. And I also, it makes you change your strategy. Like I started just diversifying more towards dividends, a style of investments while we see what happens with the market, right? There's ways, but mindset is the first step of knowing that it is possible that you can do it. And I think the second thing is surround yourself by people that are either doing it or have done it. Yeah. And there's so many communities for that. And I leave some in the show notes, some that helped me. You know, mm -hmm. like, like if I was a 20-something recent grad, my first thing would be to read that Ramit Sethi book that I will teach you to be rich. He walks you over personal finance and have to get a checking account that's free and all those things. And then I would play with some of the fire forums 
the there's this calculator that I love. It's called Rich Broke Dead. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, no, I saw it on your notes and I was like, oh, I got to look at this one. <laughs> yeah, that one, it's, it's a little bit morbid, not going to lie, but it's also useful in the sense that, okay, my portfolio, maybe I'll hit my million and a half by the time I'm 60. Oh, wait, but there's a 15% chance that I'm dead. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so like uh, realizing that like, we obsess over the number and when we should obsess about the lifestyle. Are you building a sustainable lifestyle? I think that it's very easy for immigrants like us to, to have that immigrant mentality that, okay, I'm going to work. I'm going to focus on this. I'm going to put in the hours because I have to, and there's 200 people in line to get the job that I want to do. And not really. <laughs> Right. Not really, but it's tough to break out of that mentality, especially if you're like first generation in college or you're first generation in tech. It's hard to break off that, that trauma, if you will. Yeah. And the work hard, right? And mm -hmm. right now, like you said, you're going back to school, you're taking classes. I've been running my workshops. I've been doing reading books, going on retreats, like doing different things. And it's funny because my dad lives with me and sometimes it's like, so how is your business going? <laughs> like, it's okay, dad. Are you making enough money like before? And I'm like, no, I'm not, but that's okay. Like, it's just, it's, the, it's this work hard mentality of like, if I'm not constantly producing, if I'm not constantly sitting in front of the computer, if I'm not constantly hustling, then who am I? And that is really something that you want to start evaluating. Who would you be once you hit that number? And that's why I talked about that, that grieving period, that grieving transition of things are changing. You're losing a, an identity. Even if you chose to lose it, it's like at the boards. Even if I chose to get the boards, it's still like I'm going from being a wife and married to now being on my own and single. And what does the dating life look like out here for someone that's in their 30s? And it's all these different transitions and, and find support, like talk to people, reach out to me, reach out to Hugo. Like we love to share resources. We, oh, yeah. we've, we're yeah. here to support you. In yeah, this, there, in there's path. no shortage of resources and we leave your contact info on the show notes as well so people mm -hmm. can reach out. And, and the last thing I wanted to mention is that there's this idea, this concept of the, the F you money, the fuck you money mentality <laughs> that you can just say fuck you and walk away from the toxic job. And that's fine and dandy, but that sounds like a, that sounds like fun, but then it sounds like, yeah, it's like a bit too aggressive for me. Like it's, it's more like a fantasy thing. In reality, the way it looks like it's more of a thanks, no thanks money. When people reach out to me and they say, recruiters reach out and, well, well we have this opportunity for a product manager for this healthcare tech company. Great. Tell me more about it. Well, yeah, it's out in Houston. You need to relocate because it's hybrid three days a week in the office. Thanks. No, thanks. Right. No, but don't you want to hear the salary? No, thank you. Like it doesn't align with my, what I have in mind right now. Thanks. No, thanks. And that's the reality. That's a practic practical way of looking at it. Yeah. And one thing that I did 
during my retirement is I got certified as a money archetype coach because that was the other thing. It's just dealing with the different personalities. An archetype is just a description of your personality and what comes natural to you. And just understanding like, I will have conversations with people and it's like, I really cannot stick to a budget or I really cannot do certain things. And it's like, okay, how can we lean into your strengths? So you actually get to your goal in a way that is easy for you, like in a way that makes sense for you. So maybe that for someone natural. that feels intimidated by, oh my God, they're talking about portfolios and they're talking about IRAs and Roth IRAs and this and that. And I just get overwhelmed by this information find an advisor. There's people that do this full-time that I absolutely love to guide you and to help you get to your goal and are there you know, for you. You don't have to, this is not a do-it-yourself only option. You have so many ways to approach it, just using what comes natural and strong to you. But yes, they, to me, it's like, I am so grateful. <laughs> it's like, thank you, money. For being here to help me pay my bills, to help me feed myself, to help me do all these different things. And thank you for showing up. And yes, like you said, thanks, no thanks to jobs that are not in alignment because I don't need the job for the money. I'm mm -hmm. going to take a job because I'm passionate about what they're doing and their mission. Definitely. Well, and that sounds like a great place to stop. Lenny Spires, thank you so much for your time. I'll leave the, your contact information in the show notes and your LinkedIn and so people can reach out. And I just want to say thank you again for sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you so much. Bro.